0: You think you're so great because you have boats! Sit back and enjoy the newest edition of AD History Watches with your hosts, Paul K. DeCostanzo and Patrick Foote. Hey, and brought to you live via London and South Louis, Missouri, you are watching the AD History Podcast. I am Paul K. DeCostanzo and I am joined by my co-host, Patrick Foote. Patrick, we have a lot to talk about today because this is an AD history watches about the recently released napoleon starring joaquin yeah.
1: phoenix directed and produced by ridley scott yeah and what an interesting we we're having a little chat about it before we went live paul i feel like we've got mixed opinions about this film oh, yeah. in regards to what you think versus what i think about it yeah do you want to start off because you, you were seen a little bit more negative on this film Oh, definitely. Well, I'm going to start with this film
0: just as a film. Mm. And for me, it had one very, very damning quality as a film. (laughs) In editing, they never let the thing breathe. I mean, really, you go through all of these years, Mm. and you're skipping through, and the film never breathes. It never lets a moment carry
1: itself or linger, even the slightest bit. No, it's very despite like you were saying before we talked fight what it's almost three hours along this film despite that it's very brisk it doesn't it is bang 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 it's more like a um series of it's, there is a vignettes. Single, yeah 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 there is a single narrative through it and that main narrative being the relationship with his first wife with josephine that's kind of what ties it all together but if that wasn't there it would just be a series of vignettes of here's some stuff napoleon did more and or that's less. Not, yeah that's not really a film at all a series of vignettes isn't a film no. by any means and and that and
0: that definitely bothered me because let, let, me, let me give you an example they literally go from napoleon's retreat from moscow which mm. might i add it was one of, it's like one of the most heinous scenes you'll ever see it's, it's something straight out of hieronymus bosch mm. all right you're talking about death you know depravity cannibalism murder i mean it was horrendous oh god gotcha. the they,
1: they capture it a little bit you see a scene where they look like they appear to be eating horses not people but you see like oh yeah and that's and kind that's of if a you're, and that was itself. if you were lucky yeah i just see we've got a comment here from philip plus who said this would have been better as two or three films and i agree with that completely this would have been terrific as like a series of yeah like, make it like a lord of the rings style epic have At- multiple yeah follow multiple different characters have it central around a pony, but follow multiple different characters in their path through this that would have been an amazing way to uh present this story thank you very much philip for uh, sharing that with us absolutely and you know that it's funny that you
0: should mention that philip the reason why is because this film actually reminded me of a a world war ii i guess it probably was a special of sorts but it was it was one of those things where You know as far as all that goes if focused on the second world war but specifically winston churchill's experience of it it was so surface level that literally every scene every bit that they showed the whole thing was just following winston churchill from his most famous quip to most famous
1: quip i guess that's that's what this film film reminded me of that is a great analogy this is you know it's called napoleon for a reason it's not a it's not a film about the Napoleonic Wars. It's a film. It first definitely and first, isn't. <laughs> about, no, it's a film. Uh, you almost want to call it a character study, but it barely studies the character at all no, because the character that is portrayed in the film, and this is something I was talking to you about beforehand the actual depiction of the man himself. Napoleon's a figure who has a lot of. He he hasn't been resigned to one specific thing in the history books. He isn't resigned as a villain of history or a hero of history. He's a very mixed bag of just just a very mixed bag of a person. However, he's also been depicted as a very silly, dumb, stupid person in in caricaturous ways ever since Napoleonic To time. Yeah, they had some excellent cartoonist
0: as a... caricatures at the time. Yeah, he's 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 been portrayed.
1: Mm, he's been portrayed as a cartoon for ages. And this film, I feel, very heavily leaned into that cartoon. It's fascinating that you mentioned, especially from the English perspective, Paul, because obviously Ridley Scott is English himself, the the fellow who directed this film. He's an English person himself. So I wonder if that played into it. And you were telling me about Ridley Scott's own opinions on Napoleon. He seems like one of the worst people to have made a film about Napoleon. Uh,
0: Let's put it this way. He certainly was. He was definitely not an objective source, but That's all true. And remember remember a few months back when we were talking about doing this for this purpose Mm. and I said to you that everything you heard about Napoleon is both true and not true. Yes. That very much speaks to the point that you just made because Mm. one thing that I will outright reject is that he was some kind of proto-Hitler. Yeah. Which is exactly the thing that of course, Ridley Scott was trying to portray. You get to the very end of the film and you see the, you know, the Ridley Scott math, and then you see three million. <laughs> and my my wife made an excellent point about this. And she's like, three million who? Three million who? <laughs> yeah. Three million Europeans? Does that also include the Haitians? Does that include <laughs> enemy armies? Does that include all of the heads that rolled from the guillotine before he ever came to power? What three million are you referring to? And Mm. that number was meant not as some sort of illuminating figure of who he is responsible for the deaths for. That was very specifically put there to put a number that allowed him to sit with figures like Hitler and Stalin Mm. and Mao, despite the fact they killed many millions more. Yeah. And And Napoleon has no place with these people.
1: None whatsoever. It is absolute character assassination. And it's so fascinating. Until Phillips just left another comment here saying they didn't emphasize how the British, including Patrick apparently were his biggest enemy. And I've never quite fully grasped that Napoleon's image in the UK and the image I have seen of Napoleon my entire life isn't the image of him around the world i presume that's how the entire world uh, i presume that's how the podium was portrayed through the entire world and that probably isn't the case i think i read somewhere that this i don't know if it's banned in france this film but this film hasn't gone down well in france at all you know one of the main reasons for that is, is the complete lack of any french language or any french accents they're all either british or joaquin is just sticking with his american accent for some bizarre reason that was another thing i found utterly strange about this film you know
0: that not unfair it, it mm. it's strange because when you get right down to it, the the French in general really despise actors who utilize like this very affected and inaccurate French accent. So mm. I get the feeling they were probably trying to avoid that, which I can understand to be sure. Yeah, um, it's also the, the same reason. Well, uh, in addition to the fact that we're not probably wouldn't have been all too sure what they sounded like. It is interesting that even today do probably do to shakespeare that all romans and pretty much every depiction you will see that includes a roman has a british accent um hope,
1: yeah most historical figures have british accents in any sort of uh biopic or historical film they always yeah. just shove them with british accents
0: it's hilarious but as far as his biggest enemy is concerned i mean in in general i mean they kept bankrolling the i believe it was seven total coalitions that were launched against Napoleon in this case, but something that they don't make mention of or you would never know because you didn't see it at the depiction of the meeting at the Niemen between Napoleon and Alexander the first. And what came of that in terms of the Treaty of Tilsit really actually the biggest enemy, the one that had the most bloodlust for Napoleon was actually the Prussians because the Prussians (laughs) got basically destroyed under the, the French Revolutionary. Napoleonic boot heel after the terms at
1: Tilsit and of course the the Russians Russians, were complicit in that as well the the Prussians barely play a role in this film I think they're mentioned a couple times but the only enemies he really comes across is the Russian czar of the time and the British Arthur Wellesley um did you Wellington he's they're the only really like physical forms of enemies he comes up against for big chunks of this film the British and the uh Russians or well, the Russians were friends supposedly at times
0: yeah this was this was an interesting little bit here Philip and I I came across this <laughs> as well and it, it definitely muddied the waters but he st- let's put it this way he still does he certainly didn't have a particularly high uh, view of Napoleon and certainly <sighs> where he sat in history Whereas you never in in this film you never really see any of the aspects of him, Napoleon that is, mm. that speak to his better nature, no, which he most no. certainly did possess. I mean, he did, and you, there there was a reason why, the when he you know in the creation of the Grand Armée, that they followed this guy all over Europe is because he commanded tremendous loyalty Mm. and you know one of the things that i definitely did want to talk about in discussing this film with you patrick is napoleon exhibits one of the most interesting case studies for one particular concept Mm. that is debated by historians a great deal and it's a more of an abstract concept and doesn't necessarily have to do with napoleon himself outright but it, he's definitely one of the best exemplars of this, mm. is the, the concept between the great man of history or the greater contextual, contextual forces that drive history. To what extent does a single individual ultimately create these tremendous historical events and mm. are only possible because of their presence? Versus all of these other forces that are quite literally innumerable and uncontrollable. And where does he fit into all of this? And he's
1: (sighs) the ultimate exemplar of this question. I've always kind of believed my my theory for a lot of that sort of stuff has always been that things are going to happen. Like if that individual, if Napoleon wasn't there, someone else would have done it. Or like if Hitler wasn't there, there's always, oh, what if Hitler died in the First World War? You know, someone else would have fit that role. Like times and things happen at a specific moment like there's moments in history where there's a zeitgeist in the air a sentiment brewing thoughts ideas changing and there tends to be people who capture that perfectly yeah and it was it was hitler it was napoleon at this time you could even say more recently um you could say nigel farage was one of those sort of people as well in more recent history someone who just sort of captured the zeitgeist of the time now he's in i'm a celebrity to get me out of here for some bizarre reason i don't know that's a huge tangent but I, I, <laughs> yeah i didn't, I didn't expect <laughs> nigel farage to come up in this conversation no. but here like, we are i just feel with history if something's going to happen a person's going to do it it doesn't it, it could it could be anyone in many cases and napoleon was there right place right time if he wasn't there it would have been someone else i genuinely feel and speaking of that something i feel this film resoundingly brushed over is because it begins with the, it begins with the beheading of Marie Antoinette when napoleon watching as you mentioned i'm fairly sure that most certainly didn't happen no, yeah I mean, she she was beheaded i definitely oh, was actually there and then within the next hour or so of the film you know we, we've just seen france reject the monarchy france reject the king and queen yet within an hour we're seeing them appoint a new king in the form of napoleon I, i'm sitting there like wait a minute didn't france just kill their previous kings why are they so happy about having a king right now. And th- the film didn't talk about that barely. Process at all. No, they, they, they like, barely cut touch to touched on it. About. I want to know more about like, how did the people of France feel about all of a sudden, you know, they just kicked out a previous king. They've got another king now. But this film isn't interested in telling the story of France or the people of France themselves. It's interesting telling the story of Napoleon. Like you're saying with that Churchill film, you mentioned it. It's laser focused on the man yeah, himself.
0: Yeah, I'm following from quip to biggest quip yeah it's interesting because in the case of napoleon he didn't they didn't crown him king he crowned a member of the french yes yeah, Emperor, yeah. so the, there was something very deliberate there i think um, he didn't want to be a king or a queen that was vulgar and that spoke, mm-hmm. spoke of the ancien regime that the french revolution ultimately overthrew well, it's exactly like rome isn't it go, go yeah, rome, well i mean look look at how he is portrayed not just in this yeah. film but in In the portraits of him following coronation Mm. the golden laurels on the head he was most certainly reaching out and saying and i'm you know wearing to some extent the imperial purple yeah he was trying to become the new the new caesar the new emperor calling out to the glory of roman past imperial past to be sure Mm. to do that and ultimately as far as napoleon was thinking and they mentioned this so briefly in the film that for all that it's worth he wanted to be able to stand on the same level as the fellow monarchs of europe in a way that he could not as first consul no and so you you ask about well why how are they appointing you know this another monarch effectively mm. well he did it
1: step by step drop by drop he, but it barely he tells about that it barely depicts no. if this film is going to be focusing on napoleon i would like lo- i love to i love stories oh. about people the process of power it's something i loved about game of thrones it's something i loved about the house of the dragon that first series what we, what we have at the moment people scheming and skiving for power finding that vacuum and making their way into it it's one of those interesting aspects of ad history talking about like the power struggle and the transitional power in rome fascinating stories to be had there and you probably could have a whole film of Napoleon worming his way up to the top but once again it just wanted the big battles and the big spectacle pieces this film was very much aiming to be a spectacle of in many ways i came out of this film thinking this feels like a throwback not because it's set in the past but it feels like a throwback to like those epics of the early noughts like like films we've talked about already like gladiator also directed by ridley scott and i just it just the felt historical like, fever dream itself yeah and i'm just like are we still making these films are we still doing this and yeah
0: yeah evidently we are Well, ridley is anyway yeah so philip philip mentioned in this case i i, I got him kind of midstream here that hmm. said many others have not don't know what napoleon did in the same situation such as invading iberia very true the peninsular wars were were one one of his biggest hmm. mistakes undeniably and to contributed heavily to his downfall, to be sure. In fact, you know, we all talk about Wellington at Waterloo, when mm. in reality, Wellington's biggest role overall was, was helping the Spanish in the Peninsular Wars basically frustrate Napoleon's designs on France. Mm. And he, you know, Napoleon thought there was a great deal more revolutionary ardor in Spain than there actually was. And he ended up really... Stubbing his toe over it, falling down, and it—in many ways—it was one of the main contributors to why he ended up losing everything. Certainly, the first mm. time. And he also, of course, mentions Louisiana Purchase. Yes, because the United States—we were most certainly were dealing with representatives of Napoleon. He sold us with that humongous tract of land in the United States, a, a part of which, yours truly, is currently sitting in. I was just thinking, surely you're part of the Louisiana Purchase where you are right now. Oh, you. Better bet your booty, I am, and of course, yeah, I, I would say there's definitely something to be said mm. about that because naturally, with the Confederation of the Rhine created, makes the whole Holy Roman Empire pointless and basically defunct, and you know, more or less six decades down the line, give or take a few years, mm. leaves an opportunity for Prussia to unify Germany. In a mm. way that might not have been possible otherwise, but Gosh. but I mean that's we, we always try to avoid the counterfactual history here because that's such a rabbit hole. But Germany film, spends so much time being unified
1: than ununified. <laughs>
0: yeah. Something, also, the, he also mentions uh, invading Russia. is Something others may may not have done, and in in reality, it's probably something he shouldn't have done. I no. Mean, he let's put it this way: He never should have gotten to Moscow. He should never have gotten to Smolensk. You know, he had that that contingent was the largest army ever created in history up to that point over mm. 600,000 troops but it was supposed to be a much more strategically limited campaign and he thought well if I go a little farther it may work out and it ended it's up like, costing him everything.
1: Philip no, was just people, making such yeah. great contributions here I can't, no, totally. I can't possibly overlook it. Thank you very much Philip and the, the, invasion, the invasion of Russia it's one of the most famous things Napoleon did or didn't do? I guess is the better yeah. way to put it, yeah. and it is depicted in this film. I mean, like, even that could just be a film unto itself. Like, yes, it absolutely, just glaze over so much, which is so full of rich detail and fascinating stories. But it, it was just chosen to be ignored. And something else I think is—I don't know if we talked about this already—the actual depiction of Napoleon himself, portrayed by Joaquin Phoenix, is something I was telling you beforehand. Yeah i think joaquin phoenix did a very good job at portraying that version of napoleon it definitely wasn't the historically accurate version they very much leaned into like for lack of a better term the stout little weirdo caricature of napoleon and he is very strange throughout this film he depicts him as being a very odd man in so many ways like there's the there's the bizarre sex scenes well they're not bizarre they're just very brisk brisk is the word i'll use there's some very brisk strange sex scenes in this film which kind of exist not to be hot steamy because they most certainly aren't but they kind of exist to portray the kind of character man this version of napoleon is and that is just so far removed from the person napoleon was he from all accounts he was a witty charismatic leader in so many ways he was also a loving father to his children When he and did that's something that
0: i think is really something that is really amazing is that mm. when it came to his son you wouldn't think it but he was actually a doting father
1: yeah he, there's some wonderful uh, portraits yeah of him playing in like by the fireplace with his son he really this son was his apple of his eye and i think in this film you get one shot scene that tries to capture i think he's holding the baby As he's planning a war of some kind, he's looking over a map, there's one kind of depiction like that. But other than that, considering one of the main things is he needs a male heir, like that's a big A legitimate male heir. Undoubtedly had
0: a number of illegitimate children in all likelihood. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) On a big plot point, saying this film, mainly the centerpiece of this film, what ties it all together and gives Napoleon a vaguely human element is his wife his relationship with his wife and a big plot point of that is trying to have a, a legitimate male heir and once that legitimate male heir comes into the scene you, you see him for like two seconds <laughs> it, it's true and
0: also i'm, I'm just going to get this out of the way because i don't mm. think you can you can do this episode without at, at least paying lip service to this very two important points one is during the expedition to egypt no the french armies never oh, yeah. pointed their cannons at the pyramids and fired on the, on the pyramids during the battle of the pyramids and no
1: at Austerlitz he never fired into the ice yes yeah i knew about the egypt one but i had to go and check about the ice so it, there wasn't even a massive lake like that was there, at the time it was a lot of smaller lakes i think i read and uh, that was my understanding of what as yeah. well
0: it, it was one of the more interesting Napoleonic battlefields. I believe it's located in modern-day Czechia. Mm-hmm. And I've always wanted to go and visit the Napoleonic battlefields. Mm. because you anytime you're studying military history, you can't really get the fullness of the history itself unless you see the geography mm. and, uh, of which that was contested because so much of a battle, especially, definitely true in Napoleonic battles in Western and Central and then you know, Eastern Europe, but anywhere, the the geography is always kind of the independent opponent for both sides mm. that you have to overcome. And to that end, it's, I, I've always wanted to see that firsthand.
1: Yeah, like, and I've said this before on, on the podcast, Geography shapes history. History is so shaped by the geography of what was going on. Yeah, that wasn't real. I'm afraid, Philip. Your whole (laughs) life is a lie. Yeah, sorry about that, mate. (laughs) But um, (laughs) that goes for that's all three of us right there. (laughs) Yeah. What's even the point of anything right now? (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for that (laughs) levity. Thank you very much. But no, um, what was I talking about? I was talking about geography and history. And when we do, we've talked about many battles here mm-hmm. on ad history ourselves and this is oh, yeah. an, or, primarily an audio based uh platform so trying to explain a battle like that it, it's so worth seeing maps of where these things were, especially with topography as well seeing where the hills were where the high ground was having the high ground it, it's more than just a phrase in a star wars meme it is so vital especially <laughs> Boy, how past. far that's come right <laughs> talk but, about cultural zeitgeist but you were saying as a movie you didn't enjoy this and so Honestly, we always, I found it
0: kind of boring.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I was trying to defend it a little bit before we went on air. Yeah, I know it's okay, and, and I appreciate that. Believe me. In all honesty, I'm still not entirely sure how I feel about this movie. I don't know if I liked it or I disliked it. I enjoyed being in like a quiet cinema on a Wednesday evening. That was quite nice in a way. It wasn't the particularly packed uh, showing on on its first day out. um That was quite a nice experience. I got myself a hot dog and and a big coke and everything. That was one way. Massive tangent. I was saying to you how a film a film is made like sometimes when we do make a film based on historical events Hmm. i can understand changing the history or brushing over some history something i do some i don't change history of name explain oh well i hope not (laughs) no 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 no. but sometimes to keep a narrative because yeah it's all about making an interesting engaging narrative sure sometimes I don't need to go, like, I'm writing, I'm going down a wormhole. Wait a minute, I don't need to talk about this much minutia for the main point of what I'm talking about right now. So I just say, and eventually the Roman Empire fell. I don't go into the minutiae of it, an example. I can understand doing that at times for the sake of a narrative, for the sake of keeping an engaging, interesting narrative. I'm not sure. saying Napoleon, the Napoleon, I'm not saying Ridley Scott did it well here, but I understand the intention. But I don't think it paid off at all, because like you said, this film is just kind of a bit nothing.
0: Yeah, and also something that drives me really nuts, and more than anything, and my wife very aptly pointed this out, it's like, enough with the desaturated picture. Mm. I was like, yeah. yes,
1: I know, they look like zombies. Yeah. It, it's and just so hard
0: of, to watch.
1: And I think that's kind of the point. It kind of, at points, wanted it to be a bit gross and gritty. And there was some vaguely gory moments in this there was that scene near the start when napoleon's horse gets shot in by a cannon and you just see that cannibal tear into that horse it's it's not very impressive cgi like you could tell it was cgi straight from the get-go but like oh that's that that's that's something to see and i always enjoy a film this is like my gory bloody horror side coming out i always enjoy a film where you see a cannon fired and you see the full impact of a cannon shot Yes. And you've got a good chunk of that here, where normally in a film, like a cannon fires and there's just a big ball of smoke on the other side, or like a ship explodes. You see people get hit in front of a cannonball, and I, I always appreciate seeing that in a film. It makes me very happy. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and here, since this pertains to you, I'll, 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 I saw I, this. I haven't fully read it yet. I was too busy uh, reading here it. you go. So, Foot's Law the older the time period that a film covers, the more likely the actor in said film will have British accents, and the more accepting the audience becomes of British accents. Uh, I I see that and I go back to a film set in like Neolithic times do you think people would buy a cave person a caveman or cavewoman or cave person whatever would you do you think people would accept a cave person having a British accent I feel if like it's Monty Python yes oh of course oh yeah Monty Python everyone's British in Monty oh, yeah, Python no. anyway
0: <laughs> I, 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 I'm just being cheeky yeah I mean at no, that I, point yeah. I mean what what is an accent you know
1: exactly yeah I
0: mean, if we know for a fact that there is a certain accent associated with a certain people's, hmm. th- then there can be, I think, some kind of expectation. But, I mean, what did the ancient Persians sound like? Exactly, yeah. You I mean, know, I'm trying wh- to
1: think what other films have done. There's always like the whole, I'm trying to think of 300 an example. King Leonidas keeps his Scottish accent, doesn't he, I think? I, would, I, I suppose so. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out how accents are done in different but films. Right, Let history. me ask you a question, because mm.
0: being British and coming up through the, the British educational system, mm.
1: did you learn about Napoleon at all? In my later studies, I have no recollection. We, we probably would have done it very much from a British perspective when I was a little kid, I imagine. Don't have any memory of it most of genuinely most of my uh, the only key british history i remember studying at school in any capacity you just it, it's just you do these vague abstracts of the victorians the tudors yes. the war that's kind of how history is taught a lot of the time in the uk It was only once we i went into like higher education into um my a-levels which are if you're english on a level it's kind of a thing you do after original schooling we did more diversity it was all very modern we did um american civil rights between native americans african americans and workers that was really fascinating but i have no recollection of ever studying napoleon at school nelson who uh was studied quite a lot but that makes sense and i kind of and Nelson and that's and, and napoleon that, and that together. is its own component of the napoleonic wars and with, with he's nelson. not mentioned
0: once and not in this film no not in this film at all uh, they don't mention Trafalgar in the least, no. but Tra- no. Trafalgar was a in a tremendous loss for the French in the Napoleonic Wars. Yeah, and, they- and you never you never hear whisper of it. But if you if you learned about Nelson, to a degree, you you were learning about at the very least one component, the naval component. Yeah, and his at least his hand in the Napoleonic Wars. Mm. Uh, oh man, that that guy,
1: he oh boy, Nelson. <laughs> He's an interesting boy, one, I- Nelson. No, oh, he was. He I've, really, I've, I've, really was. I've stood. Steadf- I've, I've, I've stood on the victory itself, which is a very fun thing. You can go do it at the Portsmouth Historic Dockyards if you're in in the area. Go do that. It's, it's very, it's still very. Still the
0: flagship of the Royal Navy, isn't it? Yeah,
1: I don't think it's had many uh, battles
0: recently, though. Thankfully, uh, thankfully, it has not. If you
1: want to keep <laughs> her in one piece, but look, like you were about to say something. Yeah, I was gonna say normally when we do an A D history watches, this was especially the case of our previous one, Oppenheimer, and you were talking about how because I was saying to you beforehand, I'm okay with changing the history if it makes a more interesting narrative and film. And you retorted saying, What about Oppenheimer? And yeah, Oppenheimer is a very good film and it's very true to the history. And that's that's thankfully because Oppenheimer's life unto itself was extremely fascinating and worthy of a movie. But then again, so was Napoleon. So what went wrong here? And it's, it's just the depiction of it was just all, all kinds of out of whack. I think what Ridley Scott maybe should have focused on one specific event in Napoleon's life, as opposed to going for this complete overarching narrative of more or less his entire life. See, for me, I, mm. I would have appreciated a film that in the characterization
0: of Napoleon, mm. Caught him in a more holistic way, where I came away walking away from it. Where I I walked away asking more provocative and Mm. more interesting and more productive questions than the ones that I I did come away with. Which is yeah I I want I want to see something a bit more ambiguous because Napoleon is inherently ambiguous because you know it's interesting. It's like seven wars of coalition. You know of all the wars he fought. There were se- seven launched against him and only two. He initiated himself the invasion of the Iberian Peninsula and, and the 1812 Russian campaign, mm. which is something really interesting. You don't think about that Na- about Napoleon many times being the one that was actually on the defensive yeah. in, the, in the grand strategic sense, and the as was the whole be, yeah. French Revolution from its very onset. Mm. Because the film, once
1: again, doesn't particularly go into much detail with that.
0: No and it also there's also just a very very brief explainer at the very beginning regarding what the french revolution was
1: all about and ridley scott loves a word on a screen and i'm i'm a big believer That's a very fine point he does love a word on a screen this film is bookended with both words on screens i believe gladiator is also gladiator ends with Words telling us that Maximus ended the Roman Empire and entered the Roman Age into a new Republic, which is just all kinds of effed up. It's like well, you're going to leave me with that. That that's how you're going to end this film. But I remember The Martian, which is actually one of my favorite Ridley Scott films. The Martian is particularly bad. That's a great comment from uh, Kristen there. What we're talking about The Martian is particularly bad for it? Massive tangent. Sorry. Every character you see in The Martian has their name and occupation come up, and like just tell me through filmmaking who they are and their name introduce have another character introduce them it just to me it feels like incredible to have words on a screen in a film or tv show just feels like incredibly lazy filmmaking that could have been done through showing me as opposed to literally telling me yeah but show don't tell is really where it's at yeah the that's show really like breaking out. bad or better call soul do it incredibly well like you will see what the date is Like, it will show you a license plate and from there you can pick up the location and the year or that sort of thing it's just that's just that's a great way of doing it and really Scott's always struggled with it anyway i want to see Kristen's comment here about uh ridley scott fundamentally interpreting napoleon's character i mean incorrectly certainly, i mean
0: in so in so far as he did mm. so incomplete and uh, doing so in an incomplete fashion to be sure
1: mm. and that was his intention i get the impression ridley scott He's more or less said in interviews that he wasn't he doesn't like Napoleon. <laughs> and he wanted to he kind of wanted to make a hit piece, I feel, in some ways, uh, of just absolutely burying this guy's creation image. Yeah. It's so like if you don't know anything about Napoleon, and I'm I'm not a major scholar in the history of Napoleon, Napoleonic history. But I I'm, I'm curious enough to go, was it actually real? If you're not curious enough or don't know anything, you'd watch that and just think, Oh, he was just this weirdo who did some things and died on an island and was a total brute that only you know yeah well
0: let's put it this way when it comes to napoleon there was this old quote is that he made love like he ate
1: fast <laughs> that's all i'm going well, to say about yeah, that that is shown him eating and making love very quickly are both depicted in this film there's that scene where he crawls underneath the table to his wife and that's something else i want to talk about normally in these uh podcasts we like to talk about the other characters but there really isn't i feel like the other characters really didn't do all that much i can't remember the vanessa kirby i believe is the lady who played josephine she was really yeah. good in the role but no one else particularly felt like a well-rounded character felt like most of the other characters were here just served the purpose of napoleon okay now here here's something mm. that is really strange in this film
0: Hmm is the constant mentioning of napoleon's mother Uh do you notice
1: this because i sure noticed this i didn't notice this funny enough i know he came from minor royalty he was minor nobility on Corsica. yeah and
0: his father when the french purchased uh corsica from the genoese basically sided with the french and got his boys, including Napoleon in particular, a scholarship to uh, an academy in metropolitan France mm-hmm. for his own education. And initially, Napoleon was a Corsican patriot. But by the time he comes back, which is years later, he's trying to export the revolution to Corsica. And Corsica's not having it. And it led to his, him and his entire family being expelled from Corsica. Corsica has a history of not taking will to outside rule. Mm. And there's no question that Napoleon had tremendous reverence for his mother. Mm. He was quoted as saying, and this is about as high a compliment as you'll get out of Napoleon regarding a woman. Remember, mm. this is the late 18th, early 19th century, and Napoleon. Yeah was napoleon he said she was a man's head on a woman's body yes but they but josephine in particular keeps mentioning her like Mm. she's this puppet master from afar of everything that was happening that didn't happen she was around Mm. you know she was given this title i forget was it was like something like Mayor of the Empire, or something along those lines. Mm. She wasn't this puppet master behind the scenes, and the way Scott tries to depict it, especially with Josephine de Beauharnais, mm. keeps referencing, like, "Oh, you wouldn't be anything without your mom." What the hell are you talking about? Yeah. That doesn't make any. It doesn't make any sense. That's not what happened. <laughs> no, <laughs> simply no. not what happened. Very, big part it's, of it's, Napoleon's life he loved her dearly and respected her beyond all others Mm. but this was
1: not his mom's grand design no at all yeah i didn't even pick up on that all that much like i said i was a i went to a sleepy wednesday wednesday night showing of it so i didn't definitely didn't fall asleep but maybe i didn't pick up on everything going on going on at the moment but no that is a very strange kind of almost was like half a thread like to dangle the whole mother concept but don't actually show her or like pay it off in any way shape or form i just don't fully understand yeah. it but somebody that we do need
0: to talk about in terms of other characters mm. is josephine in this because yeah she's supposed to be the other great character in this film who definitely next to napoleon
1: gets the most screen time But mm. well, it, it's their story it's a series i think philip here just referred to it as a highlight reel of napoleon's life and that's a really yeah. good way to pretty much uh a very historically inaccurate highlight reel but to have a thread through it it is portray you know the relationship between him and josephine even after they divorce is is the thread that unites this film together yeah and, and it's kind of, vital that that relationship is portrayed well they didn't what would be interesting important to know from yourself is they you also feel like they should just have broken up and never been together because they are not good for one another is that the reality of the situation so
0: it's an interesting story. Hmm. They were actually fixed up through a former lover of Josephine's, mm. right? It there was nothing about one of her kids coming in looking for their father's sword. Yeah, that he, that came out anyway. Yeah, they were fixed up, and for Josephine, Josephine, and this is unfortunate, but it's very much a product of the time and place in which they were. Is yeah. so her husband was killed. In the revolution, she herself mm. was in prison for a good deal of the early revolution. I believe she was originally from the Caribbean, St. Martinique, I believe, or Martinique. Mm. And she was notably older than Napoleon was. So she had been married. She had kids and she had, you know, she she was a woman who, having suffered the worst not the very worst herself, but in losing her husband lives and having to deal with in many cases some of the worst excesses of the French Revolution hmm. basically with somebody who was not going to allow herself not to enjoy the best life to had to offer after all of that to be sure. But she knew hmm. as she was getting older, she was going to need a, a protector and a provider of some sort because, She was getting older, and she was very self-conscious of that, you know, in terms of her, somebody who spent, uh, you know, at one point, a million francs a year on new clothing, was very aesthetically conscious, uh, specifically about herself. And so she she ends up marrying Napoleon, who's apparently like three hours late to their wedding, and he's totally infatuated with her she is finds him more or less kind of repugnant she had trouble that, not being physically repulsed by and him and that's not how the film portrays it at all not initially you would think no. it would be more so but eventually, but you know within three weeks of their wedding she was fooling around again mm. and they don't show any of the time in italy but he's you know when napoleon is in charge of the the french army that invaded italy he wants her to join him it's basically like pulling teeth she eventually does it Mm. and when they get down into the egyptian campaign that's when he finds out and this is historically accurate in the film to its credit Mm. how he finds out about her infidelity from uh, one of his brothers Mm. he's not pleased and so he immediately then takes on a lover from one of the wives who's present from one of the officers that's in the French army that had invaded mm. Egypt. Because in that case, in that time and place, the concept of being cheated on and run around by, by, from your wife mm. is far worse than the, uh, the status of being a known adulterer yourself. Yeah, And he went on to have 22, I believe, mistresses throughout his rule. Mm. and his time but when he gets back to france they have what i've heard described as a truly and i put quotes in the air (laughs) gallic row (laughs) and after that point it becomes something a bit more mature because for josephine and there are so many letters there going back and forth between them though early on a lot more coming from napoleon Mm. that are coming back from josephine she finds it somewhat absurd that she has this young man just totally lusting after her, totally hmm. in love. She finds it absolutely insane. Hmm. And But when he gets back from Egypt and they have this quote-unquote gallic row, it begins to turn into something more of a fruitful partnership. In addition to that, what Josephine really does for his career is actually give him access to some of the best intellectuals that are present in France and Paris in particular, in terms of uh, the best salons Mm. in that regard. And something you don't see in this movie at all, it's actually a lesser known story. One thing that is undeniable, Napoleon was a pretty smart guy. Mm. And he had a lot of respect for intellectuals in particular, Mm. writers, artists, painters, sculptors, you name it. He very much was all about patroning the arts. Mm. And there's this fascinating story where, and this is true, we know this is true, where Napoleon, when he, back when he was still first consul, actually spent a day with Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, <laughs> one of the, if not the foremost intellectual of Western Europe at that time. Mm. Because Goethe, prior to Napoleon appointing himself emperor, was a big fan of Napoleon. Mm. And they spent the whole day together just kind of debating and discussing and exploring various topics. And apparently even Napoleon saying, Goethe, you should come back to France, come to Paris, where where we can provide you all the resources you would ever want or need to continue your work. That is the kind of guy Napoleon was. And in the case of Josephine in particular, she gave him access to those kind of major intellectuals and in the best salons in paris mm. and she also knew people and she knew how to mm. you know she had a how to maneuver socially and you that, know she you know she knew how to present yourself
1: mm. and that she, person she was very accomplished in all of that yeah and that person just wasn't in this film yes Paul, <laughs> we have about five minutes left to go before I unfortunately have to go. Off yes, the, I know. Training that's... class. Yes, so, indeed. This one was final... supposed to be very focused, and yeah. we, I think we focused it as well as we can. Yeah, my the final thing I am left wondering is why didn't he just stay on Alba? Like I would happily be paid a lot of money to go sit on a Greek island forever and not do anything. That sounds perfect. Why do not you just stay there, Napoleon? I can only <laughs> answer this in in with one why because if that satisfied him. Hmm. would he really be napoleon that's exactly it because the kind of person napoleon was didn't want to that's why i would never be a napoleon type because i'm not i'm the kind of person who's very happily to just sit on an island all day and not do anything it takes me while to realize there are people out there who don't who aren't satisfied with that and yeah i'm never going to be one of those people i'm never going to be a napoleon i'm afraid
0: and also remember him being sent exiled to Elba like that was an intentional slap in the face. Mm. It was, because Elba's just this tiny island. It has yeah. a little over 10,000 inhabitants, and he makes tremendous difference on that island in terms of reorganizing it, proper garbage collection, mm. you name it. And that's one thing, and, I, and with only this couple of minutes left here, mm. in terms of the things that we, this movie would never dare to show us, Are all the things that Napoleon initiated in terms of rebuilding France and modernizing France? Mm. The sewer systems, you know, revitalizing the arts, obviously modernizing the army in tremendous ways, seeing his charisma, seeing Mm. him as a builder and creator and somebody who helped unleash the potential, the great potential of France that could never have been unleashed under the Ancien Regime because there was one thing that Napoleon should always be remembered for that this film never shows, never alludes to, not a part of it whatsoever, even though he really should have done it with, instead of appointing his brothers as the various Mm. kings of these various other countries and places they were in charge of. Overall, Napoleon was a tremendous, believer and uh, applied meritocracy in a absolutely vigorous fashion he believed mm-hmm. in meritocracy and through meritocracy he very much opened up the great potential of france okay. and look you look at the skyline of france today and you see so much of what napoleon initiated and unleashed in the great creative
1: powers Hmm. Of that I can understand why I can why the French don't like this film now. And think the final thing to just end this on quickly, Paul, is that those last words that appear on the screen, what were supposedly Napoleon's last words, were like France, Army, General Josephine, something along those lines. Those are supposed to be his last words when he died on uh, St. Helena. They aren't his actual last words from what I've No, done, no, those are legendary last words. No. So it, I think that just perfectly sums up that even the last lines in this film aren't even accurate well let, let, let's put it this way you cannot
0: understand modern france without understanding the entirety of who napoleon was you cannot understand charles de gaulle's actions in effective exile during the second world war mm. and how he chose to act without understanding who napoleon was and what he did for that country there's a reason why when the British brought his body back 20 years after he died on St. Helena, <laughs> that there was a massive state funeral because I have absolutely no, no misunderstanding why the French, in many cases, are as fond of Napoleon as mm-hmm. many of them are. I'm sure there are, there are detractors because they're always detractors. But he is, in many respects, I know Andrew Roberts described him as the revolution on horseback. Mm. But when I think of Napoleon, I think of somebody who definitely helped end the horrific excesses and the terror Mm -hmm. that came from the revolution. And somebody who shook up Europe in a way that the other monarchs of the time most certainly would never have. And that without Napoleon, we would not have the 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 france we know no. and love today
1: viva la france
0: viva la france france eternal <laughs> viva <laughs> Napoleon! us here you there and thank you for joining us in the very much for joining but us. very focused edition of mm. AD history watches for ridley scott's napoleon until next time be sure to follow and subscribe for upcoming ad history podcast episodes available wherever podcasts are found.